The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. It's Monday, October 10th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, just in time for Halloween, we've got cyborg cockroaches. As terrifying as it sounds, though, they might actually end up saving our lives one day. Plus, a roundup of recommendations for celebrating indigenous people today and every day, and an upcoming slasher horror version of The Grinch. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Remember Birds Aren't Real? The satirical activist movement that claims the U.S. government killed millions of birds back in the 60s and replaced them with surveillance drones that just look like the real animals? I'll put a link in the show notes to a segment I did on Birds Aren't Real a while back in case you missed it. But the idea of roaming, animal-mimicking automatons with distinct objectives might not be simply the realm of satire or science fiction for long. Researchers around the world are working on different types of insect, robots, and cyborgs that could assist in multiple fields, from emergency response and energy to farming. According to the Washington Post, there are roughly three different categories in this field. You've got fully robotic insects that merely replicate the size and motion of insects. There's also electronics designed to enhance real living insects. That's sort of the cyborg one. And finally, electronics that use parts of a live insect, like an antenna connected to a machine. Hulking anthropomorphic robots, or even boxy ones with crane-like arms, are limited in detail-oriented work and mobility. So the idea of insect-sized robots has been around for a while, but advances over the last decade in fabrication techniques and the shrinking size of batteries and electronic sensors have enabled a new wave of research into insect-inspired robots or insect cyborgs. That said, it's not all there yet. To be truly successful, many of these prototypes need batteries and other components to get even smaller and more efficient yet. Quoting the Washington Post, Kinjiro Fukuda, a researcher at Japan's Riken Thin Film Device Laboratory, leads a team that is strapping 3D-printed sensors onto live Madagascar hissing cockroaches. The sensors function like a tiny backpack containing solar panels for power, a Bluetooth sensor for remote control, and specialized computers that connect to the cockroach's abdomen send tiny shocks to direct it left or right. 
Fukuda envisions these cyborg cockroaches helping in emergency situations, such as an earthquake. Survivors might be in the rubble and hard to spot from the naked eye, he said. The cockroaches could be remote-controlled and released into the rubble with carbon dioxide sensors and cameras on their backs, helping find people that need saving. End quote. These cyborg cockroaches could enter places that humans can't because we're too large. Then it doesn't have to be cockroaches, he tells the Post. They could also use beetles, cicadas, or other large-shelled insects. The cyborg cockroaches from Fukuda and his team have been making the most headlines recently after a study they published last month in the journal Nature. According to Reuters, the technology is not quite there yet. The cyborg cockroach, while performing most tasks as instructed, got stuck going in circles when it was signaled to turn right. But meanwhile, Kevin Chin, assistant professor of electrical engineering at MIT, shared with the Washington Post about his team's work on fully robotic flying lightning bugs. Quoting again, Inspired by the way lightning bugs use electroluminescence to glow and communicate in real life, Chen's team built soft artificial muscles for flying that control robot wings and emit colored light during flight. This could enable a swarm of these robots to communicate with each other, Chen said, and could be used to pollinate crops in vertical farms or even in space, end quote. The particular advantage in space would be having an army of robotic insects to pollinate crops instead of having to bring a beehive on board the spacecraft. That might result in an even more problematic situation than the generations-long ant infestation on the Jamestown moon base in the Apple TV Plus series For All Mankind, which stemmed from one single astronaut accidentally knocking over an ant farm experiment. Another intriguing possible use for robotic insects down the line would be looking for chemical leaks or cracks in pipes. Fukuda, the lead researcher on the Cyborg Cockroaches project, says hybrids are beneficial as compared to fully robotic insects because the fully robotic ones still have issues with batteries running down. He told Reuters, quote, The batteries inside small robots run out quickly, so the time for exploration becomes shorter. A key benefit of a cyborg insect is that when it comes to an insect's movements, the insect is causing itself to move, so the electricity required is nowhere near as much. End quote. And while some researchers think the hybrid or cyborg method is the way to go, others, like NYU animal bioethics professor Jeff Sibo, are concerned that most in this field aren't even pretending to consider how the insects feel about being put to work by humans. Sibo told The Post that even though it isn't clear whether the insects feel pain or distress from these various experiments, it should at least be something we take into consideration. And I guess that's fair. You know, sometimes I wonder a little bit about dogs that are trained to, like, sniff bombs and drugs. You know, you sometimes see those retirement photos on social media celebrating the dog's many years of hard work. And that's really cool, and it seems like the dog is obviously well taken care of. But there's always a small part of me that wonders, like, you know, dogs can't talk. It's not like the dog was ever able to consent to devoting its life to working instead of getting to laze around a house and catch balls all day long like other dogs. Of course, having a job while otherwise being treated super well by those agencies is different than having technology surgically attached to you and being physically controlled by a human to perform tasks. That does sound worse. 
And I also wonder, like, how other insects would receive these cyborgs or the fully robotic imitators. Would they disrupt mating patterns or ecosystems in other ways? None of these issues seem too huge or, like, reasons not to pursue this very intriguing line of research, but they are interesting questions to ponder, and ones that, I hope, are being given at least a passing consideration, which it seems like they are. Madagascar hissing cockroaches were specifically chosen by Fukada and his team because they don't have wings that would get in the way of the backpack, which can be removed after the experiments are done so the cockroach can go back to a normal life, or as normal as life is for a cockroach living in a laboratory. In honor of Indigenous Peoples Day today, I thought I'd share a bit of a roundup of some cool indigenous arts and artists that you can check out, well, any time of the year, but especially today. Coming up next month is the Native American Music Awards, or the NAMIs. Founded back in 1988, the NAMIs celebrate the best music from indigenous musicians across North America. In addition to awarding artists across 24 categories at the annual award show, the Native American Music Association runs a number of initiatives that have helped them become the leading source for preserving and promoting songs by Native artists. They have a Hall of Fame in which artists get inducted, have built what is now the largest archive of Native American music in the world, organize concerts and festivals all over the country, work with major companies like Viacom on cultural diversity, and placing Native American artists in collaboration with more mainstream artists, and they petitioned the Grammys to include the first new category for Native American music, which has since evolved into the Regional Roots category. This year's award ceremony will be on November 19th in Niagara Falls, and you can listen to all of the nominees in convenient playlists on the association's website as well as on Spotify. In addition to Artist of the Year, Song of the Year, Rising Star, etc., there are also multiple genre categories from country, hip-hop, and R&B to powwow and flute, showing the span of indigenous musicians from both traditional and mainstream music. Here's a quick listen to one of my favorite nominees for Single of the Year. It's called I Will Always Fight by Kalia and Blackwater. Traveling alone through adversity Powerful beyond measure But blinded by the world that makes us see A lot of faults that you can call by name The finger that points is the hand to blame It's all unending trials But I'm still here, I'm still Checking out these playlists and keeping up with the Native American Music Awards is a great way to discover more indigenous musicians and just some straight-up great music. But if you are more of a TV person, I, of course, have to recommend Reservation Dogs. Created by Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi, the Hulu show, now in its second season, centers around four indigenous teenagers in rural Oklahoma scheming and dreaming about a better life in California, while also coping with the hardships of daily life. 
It's a comedy, but one of those dark emotional comedies that Harjo and YTD are known for. All 18 episodes from the first two seasons are streaming on Hulu now, with a third season coming probably next year. And another interesting series that I stumbled on recently is not strictly indigenous, but it's a YouTube series collecting Disney songs performed in their native languages. So, for example, there's a Zulu version of Circle of Life from The Lion King, Samoan, Tahitian, and Maori versions of songs from Moana, and Arabic versions of songs from Aladdin, plus much more. Each video comes with an additional document outlining the sources pulled from and reasoning for each language featured. In a lot of the more fairy tale-esque cases, it was tough to make a call on historical accuracy. Overall, though, it is a very cool project. You know, if you've got kids or if you remember some of these movies from growing up, it's interesting to hear the familiar songs performed in the languages that the characters would have spoken and performed by artists who are actually of that background. Links to check out that series and everything else I'm mentioning in this segment is in the show notes. Just two more quick recs for you. If you are more of a reader, one of my favorite indigenous writers, Billy Ray Belcourt, has a new novel out called A Minor Chorus, which follows a Cree grad student in Edmonton, Alberta, who returns home to work on a novel, interviewing locals along the way, which illuminates themes in the novel of escape, imprisonment, chance, colonialism, and survival. You can read an excerpt from the book to see if it's your kind of thing at the Toronto Star link in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't dug in before, this is an excellent time of year to dive into Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz's An Indigenous People's History of the United States. Or you can watch the four-episode HBO docuseries based in part on Dunbar-Ortiz's book. As with Belcourt's book, it's a tough watch and read at times, but it is an important history that isn't told nearly enough. So consider checking it out and then, you know, maybe hit up some of the NAMI-nominated artists to celebrate indigenous culture in the present and help support artists of the future. It kind of seems like this year we graduated from gritty reboot to horror parody. On the heels of the Winnie the Pooh horror film Blood and Honey is an upcoming horror take on The Grinch. Called The Mean One, this slasher film is directed by Stephen Lamort and stars David Howard Thornton and Crystal Martin. Here's the basic story, quoting Deadline. Thornton is a hairy, green-skinned grump in a Santa suit living on a mountain high above the festive small town of Fraser Park, despising the holiday season. Young Cindy You-Know-Who, whose parents were butchered by the mean one 20 Christmases earlier, is returning to town to seek closure. End quote. Like with Blood and Honey, a big question is, how are they getting away with this? The original book version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas by Dr. Seuss is one of many works that would have entered the public domain in 2014 if Congress hadn't extended copyright law in 1978. So as it stands, it probably won't enter the public domain until the 2050s or 60s. Of course, licensed adaptations have been made of The Grinch over the years, and those might actually make other aspects of the story under an even longer copyright. 
But similar to the upcoming Winnie the Pooh horror film, it's unlikely that the Dr. Seuss estate would give their all clear to a horror version of this beloved children's story, nightmarish as the core story itself might already be. So, XYZ Films seems to be leaning into parody to cover their tracks. That, and seemingly not using any of the invented character or place names from the book, Cindy Lou Who is called Cindy You Know Who, The Grinch is rebranded simply as The Mean One, and instead of Whoville, the story is set in Fraser Park. The unauthorized detail here may also be why the movie will apparently be streaming for free, not for payment, starting on December 15th in the US, although just which platform it will be on has yet to be announced. I kind of feel like The Grinch was already America's answer to Krampus, but with this slasher horror film, we will be seeing an even darker, more violent version of the Christmas villain. Well, all right, that is going to be it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.